And this is NPR News. I'm Mike Mulcahy. Thanks for tuning in. If you're lucky enough to work for an employer that offers paid time off for the birth or adoption of a child or to care for a family member who's sick or injured, you know how important that benefit can be. But most workers don't get paid family and medical time off. And for years now, some state lawmakers have been trying to do something about that. Democrats in the state house want to create a new system that works like unemployment insurance, a payroll tax on workers and employers that goes into a fund that covers everybody. Republicans have been resistant to that approach, but last week there was some movement. Some Republicans suggested another idea, tax credits that businesses could use to buy a new private insurance product that would cover the cost of some workers who take leave. This hour, we're going to talk about paid family and medical leave with two members of the House who approach it from different angles. DFL Representative Ruth Richardson is from Mendota Heights. She's the chief author of the payroll tax version of the family leave bill. And Republican Representative Jordan Rasmussen of Fergus Falls is with us. He's the House author of the GOP plan for tax credits and a new insurance product. We'd also like to hear from you. Have you used paid family leave? Have you needed it? If your employer doesn't offer it, how have you dealt with a sick family member or the arrival of a child? Maybe you're an employer trying to figure out how to pay for a benefit like this, or you just have a question. The phone lines are open. Give us a call, 651-227-6000, 651-227-6000. If you still use the 800 line, that's 800-242-2828. Representative Richardson, Representative Rasmussen, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Good to be with you, Mike. Uh, Ruth Richardson, let me start with you. We can get into the specifics about the plans and how they work in, in a few minutes. But first, was it your personal experience or what you heard from constituents or both that led you to propose this plan? You know, politics are personal. And so oftentimes it's our personal experience and what we're hearing from our constituents, um, members that really motivated me uh, to want to carry this bill. And even just last night, uh, there was a situation of uh, crowdsourcing and uh, fundraising for a person who's been ill and doesn't have uh, access to paid family leave that I made a donation to. It's those types of stories that uh, really motivate me to, to carry this bill, because as you said, uh, for the unlucky, there's not a, a safety net out there. Hmm. And Jordan Rasmussen, what about you? Uh, who have you been hearing from on this, and what have they been saying? Mike, we know that Minnesotans want to see more access to paid leave across the state, and I've been hearing about that from constituents and also small business owners and employers who uh, want to provide this as a benefit to their employees. Uh, and they want an alternative to a big new government program um, that's going to result in a large payroll tax. I also want to give a lot of credit to Senator Julia Coleman right. for her hard work on this bill. We, we did invite uh, Senator Coleman today, but she couldn't make it. So we'll have her on sometime in the future. Um, would you see this, uh, Jordan Rasmussen, as being used mostly by younger workers starting families? Mike, I think, you know, when you look at paid leave, there are so many different scenarios in which it can be used, whether it's caring for an aging loved one, a sick child, um, making sure that parents have uh, time to spend with a newborn or an adopted child. And so 
we're really uh, pushing for flexibility and allowing employers and employees uh, to work together to find the right product uh, for them. So I think you know all ages will be will benefit from expanded access to paid leave. And Representative Richardson, what about you? Do you think there's a specific um, sort of target audience or a target uh, group of people who would use this more than others if it were available? You know, when we're thinking about it uh, from the perspective of our proposal, we're looking at both paid uh, family leave uh, to cover bonding um, and also medical uh, leave as well for you know, someone's own personal uh, health condition so that they can take time off to care for themselves uh, or another uh, loved one. And what the data really tells us is uh, families need access to both. Um, and that is uh, uh, really critical. And so I think it's important that uh, both options be available. Okay. Um, and how long should the leave be? I, I believe in your plan, it's 12 weeks, right? Yes. So um, with, you know, thinking about a family leave, uh, it would provide up to 12 weeks to care for a new baby. Um, if you adopt a child, um, you know, caring for a seriously ill or a dying relative, that would provide up to 12 weeks. And thinking of it from a medical leave uh, uh, perspective, you know, including things like pregnancy complications, that would be up to 12 weeks. Mm-hmm. And uh, Representative Rasmussen, what about your plan? Would you would you specify that, or would you leave it up to the individual businesses? We don't think the right answer is a one size fits all mandate uh, for Minnesota, and so our proposal would allow. Uh, individual employers to work with their employees to figure out what the right benefit set is for them. And so you could imagine, for example, having a shorter paid leave period, but perhaps having 100% wage replacement versus some businesses might decide to offer a longer period of time at a lower wage replacement. Um, So our bill provides uh, a lot of flexibility uh, uh, for employers to meet the needs of their employees and the budgets that they have to work with. And so let's get into some of the specifics of these plans. Um, Ruth Richardson, your plan would would be available to everybody, and you say up to 12 weeks, and would people get their full pay if they were taking their leave? So, yes, I think the the most distinguishing factor of our plan is that it's inclusive and it covers all employees. And I think that that's an important fact because when we are, uh, the situation that we're in right now is if you're lucky enough to have an employer that provides this, you're lucky enough to have the safety net. And with our bill, it would ensure that um, all employees would have access to this and it would be a partial wage replacement. And that partial uh, wage replacement would shift based upon the income of the, of the individual. So if you earn less, you would you would get more of your salary if you were on leave? That's correct. And um, Jordan Rasmussen, uh, how many people would your plan cover at the outset, do you think? So, Mike, our plan, you know, from talking with insurers, it, our plan essentially allows uh, insurance companies to start writing paid leave policies. Currently in Minnesota, the Department of Commerce isn't allowed to approve those policies and so we, while we don't know the exact number, 
of how many employers will take advantage of this new product. We do know that there is a lot of interest from the business community. The Minnesota Chamber supports this proposal. Um, insurance companies are excited to start offering this product. And so we know that with this new flexibility to offer paid leave insurance, that more Minnesotans will have access to paid leave than they do today, especially for small businesses that really need access to an insurance product to be able to um, be able to offer this to their employees. Mm -hmm. and, and, but you would provide some tax credits for businesses to help them pay those premiums on the insurance. Um, do you have a sense of how, how much uh, you would set aside for that? How much money? Yes, in the current bill, we have uh, $50 million in tax credits for small businesses. And, you know, this is really a, a pioneering offering with this product, um, combining it with a tax credit to help get the program off the ground and give policymakers a sense of the scale and the need for the future. So, you know, we think that uh, small businesses, employers, they want to offer more paid leave to their employees. They just need some help fitting it in their budgets versus a new payroll tax. Well, let's talk about the payroll tax, Ruth Richardson. How much would that be? And uh, is is the plan not this year to use uh, the budget surplus to kick things off? Or is that the governor's plan? Uh, how would the payroll tax work? Sure. So under the bill that I am carrying, um, we would have um, $1.7 billion from the surplus uh, that would help to pay not only uh, premiums for employees, but for employers um, for up to the first two years of the of, of the program. And in terms of, of, of thinking about um, what our bill does that is most significant, our bill actually provides access to paid family and medical leave. And with the, with the other uh, um, bill that Representative uh, Rasmussen has, there is actually no requirement that there be access to paid family and medical leave. And that's really the challenge because, I mean, today, even looking nationally, 84% of voters support paid family medical leave. The majority of, of Republican and Democratic uh, voters uh, support this. And we have a system right now that picks winners and losers. Hmm. Are you lucky enough to work for an employer? Um, and employers can even pick winners or losers in their own business. They could say, I'm going to give you uh, access to uh, paid family leave but not you. And so when we have a situation that has so much discretion built in, it sets us up to be in a situation that we saw when Social Security was first rolled out in this country. Um, my uh, uh, ancestors were farmers and domestics, and they were told that they didn't qualify for Social Security for the first several years of, of the program. And so this is really to ensure that we have a benefit that it's inclusive and available to everyone and wouldn't exclude uh, wouldn't exclude uh, individuals. And just so I'm clear, your plan would, if a business offers uh, this benefit now, they would be included in your plan. It, it wouldn't matter, right? I mean, they, they would have to pay the tax and, and then they would continue to offer the benefit. Uh, that that's actually incorrect. Okay. So if 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 a business has their own plan that is comparable to what we're offering, they could continue to offer their own uh, plan. I've talked with a number of businesses who are already offering paid family leave, and some have more generous uh, leave than um, our bill currently offers. 
and they would be able to maintain their own uh, their own leaves. And I think it's also really important to to know that small businesses are also very supportive of House File 1200 um, as well because they understand the ability to be able to pool and share the risk across the entire state makes it manageable and affordable for everyone. You want to talk about premiums um, for someone making $50,000 a year, they would contribute $3 a week from their paycheck and their employer would contribute $3 a week. Jordan Rasmussen, what's wrong with that? It sounds pretty reasonable. You know, Mike, uh, I don't think Minnesotans want to see a you know, billion-dollar payroll tax, and even if some of the surplus is used for that in the short term, that will become a long-term uh, tax that falls on employees and job creators. And the other piece of it is is the flexibility piece. House file uh, 1200 is very prescriptive. It doesn't allow for flexibility um, for employers and employees to structure benefits how they see fit. And ultimately, um, you know, this is going to be creating a new government bureaucracy with more than 300 employees. They're going to require a new tech build out. I see this as being MinSure, MinLars 3.0 in terms of delays and costs. And I, I think Minnesotans do want more access to paid leave. They just don't want to see a new big government program. And so that's why Senator Coleman and I are excited about our approach, which in Virginia received near unanimous support in the legislature. Um, and we think we'll start seeing more and more of these policies across the country. That's Jordan Rasmussen. He's a Republican representative from Fergus Falls. Also on the line with us is Ruth Richardson. She's a DFL representative from Mendota Heights. We're talking about uh, paid family leave, family and medical leave for employees in the state of Minnesota. And we're taking your calls and questions, too. Give us a call, 651-227-6000. 651-227-6000. Let's go to Dana in St. Paul. Hi, Dana. Thank you. Hi, thank you very much. When I was first diagnosed with cancer, our daughter was five. I was in a coma and in the hospital for more than five weeks. I had to learn how to walk again, how to button a shirt. With no paid family medical leave, my husband couldn't afford to take even one day off of work. He had to visit me in the hospital, cook, clean, shop, work, and care for a five-year-old who couldn't even cross a busy street by herself to get to school. And Regent's Hospital called him twice to say I wasn't going to make it, but he couldn't come. And we know private insurance hasn't worked well for many families. So my question for Representative Richardson, and thank you for your bill, would your plan cover my husband taking paid time off to visit me in the hospital and care for me? And why are you not pushing for private insurers, which I don't agree with? Thank you. Representative Richardson. Um, well, thank you, first of all, for sharing uh, your story with us. And um, I'm, I'm glad to, to see that you are, are feeling uh, much better. Yes, uh, the bill that I, I'm carrying would have provided the opportunity and the humanity uh, frankly, for your your husband to have been able to be there to uh, care for you um, and and support you, and I think one of the significant challenges that we need to really think about with private insurance um, uh, companies, we have to think about the fact that 
private insurance, uh, when they're when they're rating who is eligible for their uh, their products, they're looking at gender, they're looking at age, they're looking at pre-existing conditions. And so under our bill, regardless of pre-existing conditions, individuals would have access to paid family and medical leave. And I would just lift up um, in the news recently, we've seen uh, dozens of lawsuits being filed against uh, insurance companies um, claiming that uh, the policyholders uh, that are Black are not having their policies paid out in the same way as compared with white policyholders. And so um, I'm going to be watching those cases uh, very, very closely, but understanding that um, that there could be potential limitations on who's eligible under private insurance plans is very uh, important. And I have yet to see uh, any private insurance plans that could offer this for $3 a week out of a paycheck. Jordan Rasmussen, what do you think? Dana? Dana, thank you for sharing your story, and I think this you know, underscores the point on why we have to uh, provide more access to paid leave. And under the proposal that we have, you know, right now, small businesses and even larger businesses don't have the option of working with an insurer to find a paid leave uh, plan for their employees. And so by giving them the option, uh, that's going to show an expansion of paid leave to help address more situations like you and your family were in. And the other point I would make to uh, Representative Richardson's um, concerns on discrimination issues, you know, this is going to be governed by Minnesota insurance law, uh, which prohibits um, unfair discriminatory practices. And it's something that as a state, we can regulate to make sure that discrimination isn't taking place within these policies. And so Ultimately, this bill, um, you know, I, I don't think it's it's productive for us to have this all or nothing approach. And the proposal that we have is going to result in more Minnesotans having access to paid leave. Uh, Ruth Richardson, uh, on this question of the all or nothing approach, is there a way to start this smaller and ramp it up? Or, or does it make more sense to just start with the whole thing and cover everybody? Well, I will say that it is um, uh, great to see that, uh, you know, the, the Senate and um, Representative Rasmussen and some of his colleagues have come to the point of actually recognizing that paid family medical leave is something that all Minnesotans deserve. Everyone deserves to uh, be able to take time off to care for themselves or their loved ones. Uh, this has felt like a one-sided uh, conversation as I've been carrying this bill for the last uh, couple of, of, of sessions here. Um, and I think where we are at is at a place where we can actually start having a conversation that involves more than me uh, because it doesn't help for me to negotiate um, uh, against myself. And so um, I see the uh, efforts last week as a great step in the right direction. That is a recognition of what Minnesotans um, uh, have been uh, asking for. And I'm hoping that we can build on that recognition to start uh, to find some to find some common ground. Well, let's, be, let's see if we can find any common ground. Representative Rasmussen, is your plan starting too small? Can you should yours be ramped up a little bit? Or would you would you accept that? 
Mike, you know, I appreciate the conversations that we've had with Representative Richardson and her hard work on this issue. I, I do think there is an opportunity for us to move forward this session. Um, you know, ultimately, House File 1200, you know, isn't going to become law this year. Um, but I, I do think there's an opportunity for us to, you know, take this step forward and making sure that small uh, businesses and employers have access to an insurance product that they can offer more paid leave. And even under Representative Richardson's proposal, um, she actually has a provision in there where if employers do have an insurance product that fits uh, her requirements, that they would be able to offer that. And so this is a, a step forward that you know, I will not end the debate or discussion on paid family leave, but will result in more Minnesotans having access. Uh, Let's hear from another caller. Dan is on the line from Minneapolis. Hi, Dan. Uh, Good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. Mm -hmm. So I'm a small business owner in Minneapolis. Um, I I work with 18 employees, about half of whom work for me mostly as their only job, and the others uh, very part-time. I have been a pick-and-choose leave provider Uh, We don't have an official policy because it's hard to create one that says pick and choose. But when the shop has a little cash available, somebody needs a leave, I tried to help out and make it happen. I just paid for six weeks of a cook's uh, time off so that he could take care of his father who was dying to help his family recover, to help himself get ready to come back to work. Those six weeks were out of my own savings and paycheck, which I don't have much of a savings or paycheck. I have to do debt to make those things happen. I'd really prefer to have something I could budget. I have looked at private insurance. They're not affordable for small businesses like mine. I don't have the the pool of the, the power of the pool. So I'm kind of stuck. Uh, and I really, really support what Uh, Representative Richardson's been doing. House File 1200 would allow me to budget on a regular basis, price things appropriately, and actually support every one of my staff members. Jordan Rasmussen, uh, what's your reaction to that call? You know, first off, thank you, Dan, for uh, sharing your story, and and thank you for you know being a job provider here in Minnesota and for taking care of your employees. I think when I talk to the small business owners in my area, they want to be able to do the same thing. The the right now there isn't an option for the type of leave that you talked about in terms of an insurance product, and and the other aspect of the bill that we have is that it would allow associations to pool risk, and so you could imagine whether it's the Farm Bureau or the Minnesota Chamber being able to offer group plans that small businesses or farmers or other um, employers can buy into to help pool out that risk and bring down the cost. And that's also why we include the, the small business tax credits as well to help get this uh, you know, program, get this marketplace up and running. And Representative Richardson, do you see any advantage to that, uh, letting groups band together and, and doing this on their own? Well, I would just say that as a state, if we are pulling, that is going to be a, a much more significant leverage than can be done by subgroups uh, pulling up. Uh, pulling together. And, you know, I I just want to lift up that when we're talking about paid family um, and medical uh, leave, there are nine other states that have adopted uh, 
this uh, type of uh, program. Uh, there's a 10th one that is poised to sign this into law. Um, Maryland um, will likely become the next uh, state. It just passed out of both their, uh, out of both their, their House um, and uh, their Senate. And is going to be going to their uh, their governor for uh, signature, and as a state, um, our paid leave program is modeled after some of these programs that have been working well in other states, and it's modeled after uh, the unemployment uh, insurance. Uh, compensation model. And I will just note that Minnesota has one of the most highly recognized uh, unemployment insurance programs in the nation. When the COVID pandemic hit, uh, Minnesota was uh, the first in the nation to be able to get up and running to offer pandemic unemployment um, insurance uh, benefits, which I think speaks to the the real uh, uh, strength and the the knowledge that we have within the UI uh, uh, realm to be able to build upon that uh, and model after that infrastructure to get a plan up and running that would serve all employees, so that individuals aren't being put in that situation of saying, um, you, employee, are valuable enough to get this, but you are not. People want to be able to provide this as inclusively as possible. No one wants to look at someone who has a dying family member and say, I can't give you leave, but I'm going to give the person sitting next to you leave when this happens to their family member next year. Would it take 300 new state employees to, to actually execute this, though? It would. Uh, there would require um, new employees in order to build up this program. We wouldn't be able to build uh, onto the UI program. There are requirements against that. But in order to build the infrastructure moving forward, there would be costs associated uh, with that. And that's an important investment as we think about that $1.7 billion that is within this bill to help to build that infrastructure. But we also have to look on the back end. What's the cost of doing nothing? Because there are significant costs that we see every day, some tangible, some intangible. Too many stories of people who um, are dying alone because their family members cannot be there next to them. But then thinking about the costs uh, that occur when um, women are being forced to go to back to work a few days after giving uh, birth, what we tend to see is that um, people tend not to go back to work. So you're losing uh, employees in an already stressed uh, market where we have workforce uh, shortages. And there have been uh, research studies that have shown that both infant and maternal mortality decreases in states that have access to paid family leave programs Dependence on um, welfare programs uh, decrease because when individuals actually have the time to care for their loved one and then go back to work, they don't have to quit their job and then become uh, dependent on county or state services. Uh, Representative Rasmussen, I think you said Virginia is uh, poised to enact a, a, a program like you're talking about. Have you looked at the other states that have done a program the the 10 other states, nine other states, as Representative Richardson says? Yes. Yeah, there's nine states and uh, the District of Columbia have a you know mandated uh, structure. Uh, the, the thing that I would say is, you know, the concern and we looked at Washington state where after just a year they had to increase their payroll tax by about 50 percent. 
And when Representative Richardson talks about you know, unemployment insurance as a guide for this program, I think a lot of job providers in the state right now, as they are getting a tax increase to help uh, you know, bail out the unemployment insurance trust fund, you know, that should give them some pause. And Minnesota Deed has actually told us that running this program would be more complicated than running UI. And so my concern is that the bill has really an uncapped payroll tax. And in other states, we've seen these costs uh, be much higher than projected. And much analysis that's been done by the business community has worried that uh, the projections in this bill uh, could actually be uh, too low and that the ultimate cost will be higher. Uh, Representative Richardson, do you have a response to that? Yeah, you know, I would say that, the, you know, we've this bill has been um, being worked on for a number of years and there has been independent modeling that has been done. We've seen states roll out uh, paid family leave in the midst of uh, of a pandemic. And even in the midst of uh, a pandemic, we have seen uh, states that have had their programs remain uh, solvent. And what we also have, you know, being that there are now 10 uh, other states that are are doing, um, well, we'll be at 10 soon, doing paid family medical leave, we have the benefit of being able to learn um, as well and to uh, and to adjust. And I think that what is the most important piece of this conversation today and, and something that I hope that uh, the listeners are, are hearing is what we are hearing is it is beyond time to have paid family medical leave within uh, the state of, of Minnesota. We have different uh, approaches in terms of ways uh, to get there, but I'm hoping that this uh, move from the, the Senate last week represents uh, a real good faith effort to come to the table, to have the conversations, to iron out uh, a deal that is based upon uh, compromise, because I'll just Again, this has been a really one-sided conversation with me talking to myself for the last couple of years. Well, let's uh, bring in another caller, Matthew from St. Paul. Hi, Matthew. Go ahead. Hi, everyone. Um, So I was wondering about how this affects uh, workers that are paid through 1099s or the gig gig economy, because a lot of youth, um, which are the majority of the people having the babies, um, you know, are, are shifting away from traditional work strategies. And so I just wanted to know how this house file uh, affects that population. Okay, good question. Uh, Ruth Richardson, do you want to answer from your point of view? Sure. Yeah. So from House File 1200, uh, those who are working in the gig economy would have the option of opting in uh, to this program. And so they um, it would not be a, requ- a requirement, but it is something that they could opt into if they chose. And Representative Rasmussen, under your approach, uh, it would be up to the employers, I assume. Mike, so for uh, the bill that we have it would allow in- insurers to write individual plans so that okay. individuals could also access it. And additionally, it allows for associations to pool. And so if you were a member of a chamber of commerce or other types of association, you could uh, pool in with their group. I wonder if we could uh, sort of zoom out to end the conversation. Um, what's the best way for the state to help businesses attract and keep workers? Uh, you know, the population is getting older and and uh, I think Representative Richardson mentioned a lot of businesses already having a, a tough time finding workers. 
Is it more of the state getting involved to uh, provide or to, to somehow ease the way for these kind of benefits? What do you think, uh, Representative Rasmussen? Well, Mike, I think that's a really important question. And, you know, the Minnesota Chamber, NFIB, they support our proposal because it gives them flexibility to think about what types of benefits uh, employees really want. And my concern is if we take a, you know, one size fits all mandate, that that will come out of other benefits that employees are looking for, whether it's tuition reimbursement, whether it's uh, health insurance, retirement benefits. And so I want to give employers and employees as much flexibility as possible to find the benefit set that best meets their needs um, and that small businesses can afford. And and paid family leave should be a part of that. Representative Richardson, what do you think is sort of the overall philosophy here? You know, one thing I will just lift up is that Main Street Alliance, uh, an alliance of small businesses across the state, uh, support House File uh, 1200. And one of the things that we hear so often is for the smaller uh, businesses, um, and particularly for those in, in rural Minnesota, they're lamenting the loss of population because when, when individuals are uh, in those childbearing years, um, and they're having to choose between a job where they don't get access to paid family uh, leave and um, and one that they do. People are overwhelmingly um, choosing uh, jobs with the, the benefits that they need in order to be able to care for their family. I've heard from several people who talked about having to leave the communities that they love in search of of you know a safety net if something were to occur because we are. We, you know, the pandemic has taught us you can be a day away from uh, from just about anything. And I think that there's a huge opportunity here, especially for our small businesses, to be able to become more competitive when you're pulling the cost of this across the entire uh across the entire state. And it gives people the opportunity to select communities that they love, or maybe a job in a nonprofit that um, doesn't have the same high salary, but it gives them what they need in order to have that safety net. This is all about providing an even safety net because right now the safety net that we have within our state, there are entire families that are falling through it every single day. And what that says to them is that they are not worthy or valued enough to get the the helping hand that we all are going to need at some point, because we all are going to be sick, our family members going to be sick, and we all deserve the opportunity to be able to help support our families. And, and, And finally, for you, Representative Richardson, does something happen this year? Or is this more likely to be something that candidates for the legislature discuss and debate as they knock on voters' doors this campaign season? Well, I always say that the session is not over until we uh, adjourn sine die. So something is always uh, possible. I've been uh, very uh, pleased with the conversations that have been happening. I appreciate the conversations that I've had with Representative uh, Jordan. Uh, Senator Pullman and I are going to be connecting next week um, as well. And I, I am hopeful that we will be able to work for all Minnesotans and that we will be able to uh, continue to work work towards some sort of uh, some sort of compromise. I can't say enough. I'm excited to see that there is truly now a real recognition that we need a paid family medical leave uh, program and solution within the state. 
And Jordan Rasmussen, are you optimistic or you think this is going to have to be put off for more debate, more discussion? I look forward to continuing the conversation with Representative Richardson and our colleagues in the legislature. And, you know, the thing that gives me hope, Mike, is just seeing how this proposal in Virginia was actually sponsored by Democrats in the legislature and got near unanimous support. And so I do think we have an opportunity to make progress on this issue this session. Well, uh, Republican Representative Jordan Rasmussen, DFL Representative Ruth Richardson, thanks so much for coming on today and uh, straightening me out and letting our listeners know about uh, your plans. Very interesting. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Mike. And this is NPR News. I'm Mike Mulcahy. One thing pandemic relief money from the federal government has paid for over the past couple of years is breakfast and lunch for all elementary, middle school, and high school students in Minnesota. But that funding will end in early June. Governor Tim Walz has proposed extending free meals for students as part of his plan for the state budget surplus. He wants the state to take over paying for it. That move is backed by a coalition known as the Hunger Free Schools Campaign. Leah Gardner is a is the policy director for Hunger Solutions Minnesota. She supports the governor's efforts, and she's here to talk more about the proposal. Leah Gardner, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Uh even before the pandemic, weren't uh, breakfast and lunches already provided for many Minnesota students? You know, they were provided for some, but but really not for all who needed it. Um, we've actually been working on closing that gap and improving access to school meals for, for a really long time. Um, but the system that we had in place before the pandemic really wasn't working for schools or for families. And a couple uh, examples of that, you know, many schools had lunch debt that was leaving a hole in their school's budgets. And that's after doing things like, um, you know, doing everything they could to collect payment from families. Unfortunately, doing some things no one ever should, like shaming kids by dumping meals. Um, you know, and, and the fact is that many families just couldn't afford those meals. So we know, even before the pandemic, one in four food insecure families didn't qualify for free and reduced price meals, but we're still struggling to make ends meet and to, you know, provide those uh, those meals for their kids. Hmm. And and what else do we know about the students who aren't getting enough to eat? Yeah, um, you know, it's it's really been sad to hear the stories as we've launched this effort and started connecting with communities all around the state. Um, we've heard about the struggle that that people are, are definitely having. Um, you know, many kids are unfortunately experiencing food insecurity and that is making its way into the classrooms. Uh, there's one young man who's worked with, with our campaign a little bit. He's a freshman in high school and he was telling us about his experience where his parents have been struggling and haven't always been able to pay. He's been working himself, putting his own money into trying to pay for his school meals. Um, but he was choosing on a weekly basis whether or not to skip meals, mostly choosing not to eat breakfast, sometimes also skipping lunch, you know, and, and having to choose between that and racking up a huge debt at the end of the day um, 
for his family. So, you know, he was going hungry and, and that was impacting his ability to learn and meet his full potential in the classroom. And unfortunately, there are a lot of stories like that. Hmm. And the governor has proposed $183 million for this for the first year, and then a 4% increase each year after that. Um, does that funding cover break time and summer vacations as well? Uh, I don't believe so. I believe that's really just the while kids are in school um, and getting their ability to get breakfast and lunch while they're while they're in school. Hmm. And and so um, it, it does seem like a lot of money. Uh, what are you hearing at the legislature? What are what are, are you hearing from opponents to this? You know, I have to say, I'm I'm pleasantly surprised that we have heard a lot of support for this and and just really have been gaining momentum in the community, at the Capitol, you name it. I think uh, people are starting to realize that we've done this for two years and it, it's been working. It's been really meaningful for schools and for families. Uh, and there is interest in, in seeing this become permanent. Uh, so far, we had two really successful hearings in the House uh, and most recently with the Education Finance Committee in the House. And that was really powerful testimony from a number of different people with lived experience and experts on the on the topic. And we were really thrilled to see bipartisan support, um, you know, when that was voted on uh, in the in the most recent hearing. So we're optimistic that this is something that we can see both parties uh, consider and that it could, you know, be on the table in the final budget discussions because it's just it's so needed. Mm hmm. Uh, what about the food that the students actually uh, get in the schools? Uh, is it good? You always hear kids complaining about their <laughs> food. You know, yes, you'll definitely get plenty of opinions from kids about, um, you know, what they're eating for lunch. What we know is that children participating in school meals um, are less likely to have nutrition inadequacies and are more likely to consume fruits, vegetables, uh, milk in some of these key uh, foods that that meet their needs for their growing bodies. So, you know, it, kids may want one thing or another. I know there are a lot of families that have picky eaters, but I'll say, you know, even for my own kiddo, when they can sit with their peers and have access to a variety of healthy foods, fresh fruits and vegetables, maybe they haven't had access to before, it can go a long way and it can transform their taste buds and, and their ability to get the nutrition they need and um, start to like more of those foods. Mm -hmm. So what happens if the, uh, if the funding doesn't come through? Do we go back to the way it was before the pandemic where only some schools qualify for this and only some students qualify? That's the fear. Yes. Um, you know, I think we know families are still struggling to make ends meet right now. Uh, I can tell you that from the hunger relief community, uh, as other supports have gone away, this, you know, people are still struggling with food insecurity and certainly will be into the next school year. And the current system just leaves too many families out. So I am afraid that what we would see if we if we don't do something now is you know, that falling to really being a big stress point for families, kids that will be hungry in school, and unfortunately, schools that are already doing so much having to wrestle with 
trying to collect meal debt, um, you know, teachers wrestling with kids who aren't focusing and that they know are experiencing hunger. And then at the end of the day, that's going to be a cost um, and a hole in the budgets of our schools. Mm -hmm. And you said you've had a, a couple of positive hearings in the House. Um, are you fairly confident that this will be there uh, when the session ends sometime in May? It's really hard to predict this legislative session, but I'm I'm confident that we have passionate, um, dedicated support from the governor's office, from leaders in the House, and you know it's it's been a slower process working this through the Senate, but I know we have support there as well. So I am hopeful that it's going to be in the final budget discussions. Okay. Well, it always helps to have the governor on your side, doesn't it? It does. We very much appreciate uh, his leadership in, in bringing this forward in his budget. Uh, Leah Gardner, Policy Director for Hunger Solutions Minnesota, thanks so much for coming on today. Thanks for the update. Thank you so much. And this is NPR News. I'm Mike Mulcahy. To finish up today, let's check in with one of our Minnesota Capitol reporters. Tim Pugmire is at the Capitol and on the line with us. Hi, Tim. Hi, Mike. Uh, the Senate passed a bill yesterday to give farmers some aid for that bad drought they had to live through last summer. Um, where does that stand now? Does that mean that that bill is on its way to the governor? Well, it was a unanimous vote, uh but help is not on the way yet. That's because the House passed a drought relief bill a few weeks ago that has some differences. The House included some money for the DNR in its bill and did not have the disease prevention stuff that the Senate included. The Senate had money for the Veterinary Diagnostic Laboratory at the University of Minnesota, to do some work on avian influenza and some other emerging animal diseases. The House could decide to accept the Senate version or send it to a conference committee for negotiations. We'll have to see what happens. I know uh, this has been going on for a while. I mean, the, there was talk of a special session last year that never happened to, to get some of that drought relief out. That's right. That's when the drought uh, uh, was happening, and that's when the talk of drought relief began. And uh, uh, some folks uh, in uh, greater Minnesota will say, hey, uh, the drought is still going on. Don't hmm. forget about us. Um, there was a broad bipartisan support for a bill to uh, spend money on research into ALS and money for caregivers. And the governor signed it this week. Why was that so easy to pass when uh, it's been so hard to make progress on so many other issues? Well, you could uh, say that bill is is a family matter. Uh, lawmakers are, are supporting one of their own. Senator David Tomasoni, the independent from Chisholm, was stricken with ALS and brought forward this research bill. Tomasoni is well-liked on both sides of the political aisle, so... Lawmakers want to support the bill for his sake. They also want to see this uh, as a bill that could have an impact on some much-needed medical research. But you're right, there have 
it's a big contrast between this bill and other issues being debated at the Capitol. Uh, Governor Walls said during that bill signing the other day that he appreciated the leadership and collaboration, and you have to figure he'd like to see a little more of that. Hmm. Yeah. Well, um, today is uh, the second deadline for bills to pass in committee, and and, uh, that process sort of, uh, you know, focuses the legislature in. What are the big issues going to be now for the rest of the session between now and the third week in May when the legislature has to adjourn? Uh, Lots of big issues remain unresolved. A tax bill is one of them. Uh, Senate Republicans plan to roll out their tax bill next week. They continue to stress permanent ongoing tax cuts, elimination of any taxes on Social Security income, uh, Senate Majority Leader Jeremy Miller said he plans a, a vote on the bill by the end of the week. Uh, House Democrats are readying their tax bill as well. Uh, they say their focus uh, for a tax bill will be on workers and families, and they're not really keen on many aspects of the Senate plan. Public safety, another big issue to work out. There was a hearing underway today in the Senate on that. House and Senate uh, still need to resolve issues of unemployment insurance and frontline worker bonuses, and there's still no deal. We'll have to see what happens. And the last thing we'll see an agreement on is a bonding bill. Right. As usual, the size of that package is uh, what could potentially tie things up. And that's uh, for public works construction projects. So, So a lot to deal with. Next week sounds like it's going to be tax week. Then they take a break for Easter and Passover, and then it's the final sprint when they come back. You got it. Tim Pugmire, thanks so much for checking in. Appreciate it. You're welcome, Mike. Tim Pugmire covers the Minnesota Capitol for us here at NPR News. You can find his work and all our political team's work at nprnews.org. That's our program for today. I'm Mike Mulcahy. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike Mulcahy. Thanks for listening to a recording of my live radio show on NPR News. If you want to catch the show live, tune in each Friday at noon. I'll be talking about what's happening at the legislature, the 2022 elections, and other things.